everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sopa. Busy Living Sopa. Episode 169. And I am so excited to have Corey O'Brien on. Hi, Corey. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you today? I'm awesome. I'm so excited to be doing this. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. This is so exciting. So will you tell us <laughs> what it was like and what happened and what it's like today? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, oh, it's a, it's a long story, but I'll keep it kind of short. I mean, as a young kid, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. Um, I struggled with my sexuality ever since I was younger. I knew I was gay, but um, the town that I grew up in was just very closed-minded. Um, I started using and drinking when I was about 12. And I started really young. For me, it was just an escape. It was a way to numb all of the insecurities and fears that I had. And it really was like the first time ever that I felt some sort of confidence or I just felt quote unquote normal. Um, But I had no idea that it was going to take such a turn so quickly. I um, ended up actually, the first time I was sent away, I was 13. I was sent to go live with my grandma in New York, and I did some, some sort of program called, it was called Rehab After Work, where I would go to school, and then I would go to group therapy sessions. Um, but I really had no intention of changing. I was so young. Um, I, I was so unaware of what was really, what I was really dealing with, and it, it was just such a, such a tough situation because I was still growing up and I knew that alcohol and drugs at that moment, I I didn't know, but I felt like it was what was saving me. But, um, I moved back home in, um, 10th grade and I got back into dance because that was my first love. And I was dancing and I came out to my family, which was so supportive, but I realized that for me, all the support and love from my family, it didn't really matter to me because when you're that young um, in high school or middle school or elementary school, the voices of your peers is what really affects you. And hearing all those people who were so nasty and so didn't understand me, um, it really it really took a toll on my self-worth and the love that I had for myself. Um, I got back into drinking and drugs in 11th grade and it was just, it was tough. That was the first time I experienced a relationship. He was years older than me. Um, so I just wanted to feel normal. I saw all of the straight kids have relationships in high school and I didn't think I was going to experience something like that. So I just wanted to feel like I fit in. But my fitting in was spending time with my older boyfriend where he could drink at restaurants and he would find a way to have me drink as well. And, um, and like, I, like kind of what, it, it's a constant pattern in my story, but things always um, pretty much go left very quickly. And um, I was sent to treatment again in 11th grade. I... I got sober. I stayed sober until I was about 19. 
Uh, actually, yeah, right before I turned 19, I, um, after high school, I moved to New York City and I started working professionally as a dancer. And this is kind of where my story, um, my story kind of ends with my using. It, it begins with my sobriety, but um, before I stopped, it, it was just an insane amount of terrible experiences. I mean, I was basically still a child. I was 18. I didn't know really much about life. And I was traveling to different places like Spain, Brazil, and Israel as a dancer and putting myself in situations that were so crazy and toxic and really dangerous. And I, I, I had no care. I, I would wake up and I would feel like I, I, I just didn't have any worry about what happened to me. And that was really a really scary and terrible feeling to experience. I just felt like I was a shell of a person. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I've gotten, I, I got fired from every single dance job that I did. And I was always sent back home and I would, I would go to another audition. I would book the job. I would go out of the country. I would be fired. Finally, in uh, when I was in Israel, I pretty much had, um, I, I would say, I, I had a meltdown. Um, I woke up and I was told what I did the night before, which was really alarming. It was very um, combative. It was, it, it just, when they were, when my producers were telling me the story, I honestly felt like they were talking about someone else. I had no idea that the things that I did the night before I was even capable physically of doing. And, um, that's when my family just said that they had enough. And, um, I was sent to rehab and I went there for a year. And so that's where my sobriety begins. So that's my, that's my story of using really in a couple minutes, but yeah. Well, it's always, it's like, we all have that, those war stories, right? And it doesn't make, we Mm -hmm. all, like people that are looking for this, know what that feels like, right? That ending when you're like, oh my God, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to die if I keep going and I might die if I stop. So I need to go and get into some, I need help. Yeah. See, and that's the thing, the war stories, I, sometimes I, I feel a little nervous sharing them because I don't ever want to trigger anyone or glamorize anything. So when I say something like alcohol or drugs gave me confidence, it doesn't give confidence. I was just so young in my story that I thought the feeling of like lowering my inhibitions and all of that was confidence. But in actuality, alcohol was something I thought I needed when in reality, it was something that was destroying me Mm -hmm. and it destroys many others. So, so the war story, I just kind of try to keep it, short and, and a little simple, but just to explain where I came from with it and then what it kind of took from me and then how I turned that around to change my life and find sobriety. Which is what I love. And I love, so you. you went to, and you went to treatment for a year. I, I love when I hear young people that actually kind of take themselves off the radar for a year mm-hmm. because it gives you so much time to heal. Did you, did you find that? Yeah, I love that you said that because I, um, like many others, my, my family promised me, okay, 30 days, just give it 30 days. I said, okay, 30 days, that's, that's the most. Like, I, I was even pushing for 28 days because I was like, you know what? I want to still have power, control. 
I haven't humbled myself. I want 28 days. They were like, just give us 30. So after 30, I felt this feeling that I, I never felt before. And it was kind of like peace in just who I was. So I, I offered to do another 30 days and then it kind of just added on. And I have to say, being in the entertainment industry and just always being on the go since I was young, I taking a year off from life to not focus on anything besides myself and, and undoing the things that I've done, but also trying to learn new things. It was, when I look back, sometimes I, I have to say like, I, it was the best year of my life because I, I really found who I was. Yeah, I think we need that time where we don't have all the noise. You know, as you just mentioned, mm-hmm. the noise is so debilitating in so many ways and nobody thinks about it. And ironically, here we are where, you know, everything stopped right now. And mm-hmm. we all need that time out, don't you think? Absolutely. I, I mean, now more than ever, I, I feel like there's a lot of people that feel like they need to accomplish big things in quarantine or they really need to always be working 24-7 while in isolation. And for me, I just feel like this might be a sign as well to just take a break. We all need to just relax and also turn our focus onto what really makes us happy. And I feel like this is very important to, important to just focus on ourselves and our mental well-being. Exactly. And when we go into the, and when we ask for help, and I know that there are a lot of people that are struggling right now. Mm-hmm. especially because they are isolated. And when we are in our addiction, we are isolated, right? I mean, we're yeah. us and our favorite, our God of the moment, whatever that be drugs, pills or weed, right? Yeah. I, that See, that's the thing. I was always trying to, I've been talking to other people for me, isolation years ago was, was one of the scariest things I've ever experienced because my own mind is one of the most powerful things I've ever encountered. It has taken me to places that I could never imagine going back to. And so it really scares me and worries me to think that there are people in this world that are trying to stay sober or, or trying to even get sober. And now they're thrusted back into their homes with nowhere to go, no support. And I, I worry and I hope and pray that these people are still able to find some tort some type of connection, even though they're stuck inside. Exactly. So tell me this. So when you left after the year, what tools mm-hmm. did you learn that you implement that you implemented right away and that you still use to this day that you could share with somebody that's helped you? I, I have to say the one thing that I learned for me, the most important thing was that I do not know everything. And I, cause I used to always think that I knew what was best. But the decisions, what I thought was, was, was best was actually what put me in rehab. So to always seek some sort of advice or some sort of guidance for someone that has real sober talk. If I, if I need help, I will turn to people that are in recovery, that has, have years of sobriety, and I won't turn to people that do not understand it. That's the thing. I, I just feel like I have... Uh, I would seek validation for people that had no idea about my life or about sobriety. And it always kind of turned me in the wrong way. And Mm -hmm. another thing that I learned was just self-love. For me, my story, a lot of it 
came from me hating who I was as a person. And I really began to learn how to love and respect myself. And I have to say the last thing that I learned is just staying connected, staying connected to the program or to just sobriety or just always putting my sobriety first, no matter what, because without my sobriety, I honestly have nothing. I agree with you 110% there. And falling in love with ourselves, why is it so difficult? It is so hard. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. At least someone else says it because I do not know the answer. I don't understand. We so desperately want to give love and want to have someone to love. When in actuality, what we have, we have ourselves. We can give all that love to ourselves. When we don't have a partner or, or someone else that we are with 24-7, we have ourselves. We can give that love to ourselves. I don't understand why it's so hard. But I will say I constantly am trying to find the answer. <laughs> it's difficult. What do you do? What were some of the tools you used to, to fall in love with yourself? I mean, I know for me, like I had a post-it note on my computer, in hot pink, like a hot pink post-it note, and it said, I love Elizabeth. And people would be like, mm-hmm. what is that? And I'm like, well, I, just have, to keep, <laughs> I have to keep remembering that. Uh, Elizabeth, I love that you said that because I'm, I'm going to tell myself I've never told this before, but what I did every single night in rehab is before I went to bed, I recited five times that I am beautiful. It has nothing to do with my appearance. It has nothing to do with anything superficial, but I would tell myself that I am beautiful because I, I realized that even when I didn't believe it, I still wanted to say it to get in the habit because mm-hmm. after a couple of months, I started believing it. So there's something like that in that aspect. But then I would do other things such as exercising. I mean, just like it, getting my body moving or just journaling every single day. Like I would just do things that I, small little things that would make me feel better about myself. And not only not only emotionally, but also physically and just taking care of my finances. I mean, it's tough to say because maybe to the person that isn't, you know, that, that isn't an addict or alcoholic, they're like, well, I do that every single day. Why is it so important? But because for me, I, I didn't know how to live like, I, I, like everyone else. You know, I, I dug this hole so deep for myself that I really had to crawl out of it and learn these things over again. And with that, did you go right back into dancing after that um, year? I, I, I actually, um, I booked um, a reality TV show while I was in a halfway house, and it was a dance competition show for MTV. And um, I hopped on a plane um, to L.A., and I just went back into it. So um, for the past seven years, I've just been working as a professional dancer. Okay, and how much fear was that to overcome? Um, I love that you brought that up because, um, I still remember to this day and I, um, I won't, I won't recommend this to anyone, but I remember getting that email saying I booked this job and I told my family I was leaving the halfway house. I said, I'm doing it. I'm going to follow my dreams. And I I remember my family begging me not to do it. And, and in a little... A little way that really pushed me, uh, I I wanted to prove them wrong. Not in a way that I was like, ha ha, I'm going to get back at you. But I just wanted to ease their mind 
and to say, listen, I promise you it's going to be okay. But I, I have to tell you the truth. I didn't even know if it was going to be okay, to be honest. I, I was scared. I was being told left and right not to go back into the dance industry. But I really took it one day at a time. The, the cliche statement, one day at a time, I really did it. And, and it worked for me. It, it has been working for me. Oh, it's, it's been working for me too. And it's, but it's so hard, even though Buddha and, you know, anybody who's Buddhist or uses meditation, <laughs> right? That's what mm-hmm. they teach you. It's like, that's where the yeah. happiness is, is in the moment. But sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, I, I, people were telling me one day at a time, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I got it one day at a time. And then I was like, wow okay one day at a time is hard can can and they're like okay one hour at a time i was like okay then i was like no this is so okay one minute at a time and that was really what helped center myself because i was just like okay just focus on this minute focus on this hour because there were times in my life where i i thought you know i don't know if i'm going to be able to hold off from drinking today i i don't know but just kind of taking step by step which is why they have things such as the 12 steps for me. It was, I had to, I had to have this kind of spreadsheet to look back to because if I didn't, I would always go back into my mind, which were telling me all negative things. If that isn't the truth, it's like the dirty, scary <laughs> monster. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's crazy. Cause I, I think that I'm like, this is my mind. It's in my body, but is this really me talking? Like, is this really my thoughts? Because how, how have I lived like this for so many years? And before I went to rehab, I just, when I got out of it, I just thought to myself, like, I, I truly, I feel bad, not because of, not sorry for myself, but I feel bad that I've neglected myself for so long that I thought that that was normal, to hate myself so much. Mm. Oh, I did too. And nobody ever thought, nobody ever taught self-love in school. So using those tools that you said, like journaling and Mm -hmm. having mantras that you say to yourself, you know, that helps big time. Yeah, absolutely. And that fear that we were talking about, you know, so many people are like, oh my gosh, I'm just so scared. I don't want to go into that, like that basement, that church basement, you know what I mean, wink, wink, and think, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, who am I going to see there? This is so scary. I don't want to do it. It's a cult. It's a this, it's a that. And it's <laughs> like the fear of, of our preconceived notions that we don't know what it is keeps us away from yeah. asking for help. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I have to still admit, like I've been traveling all over the past seven years of my sobriety with work and I still kind of fear it sometimes. I do. Like, I, I still have those feelings of when I was a little kid with my sexuality and walking into the room and people judging me or making fun of me. I still have those feelings at 29 years old, but now I just, I, half the time, I also just have to think, say to myself, like, they're not thinking about you. They don't care. They, they're not, they're not worried about you. Just get in the room, sit down. They're dealing with their own issues. And that has really helped me because then I've also felt like I can be there and I can show up for others and help them, which along the way helps me. If that is not the truth, that's what this whole podcast is about. You know, it's about sending people the message that it's okay. You can be sober. You don't have to be ashamed and let's get busy living life with our disease. I, I love that you say that because 
this is honestly one of the first times I'm talking about my sobriety. I, uh, out magazine just wrote about my sobriety. I wrote a letter and it was published in there. And, and I never thought that I would share about it. I've, I've lived in this entertainment industry for so, so long, honestly, and I've never shared it. And I've always kind of felt a little ashamed by it. And I, they don't teach you that in rehab in my eyes. They don't teach you that you're going to feel a little ashamed by your sobriety. They understand mm. shame when you're using, but I, I thought that I was going to be jumping up and down and telling everyone I was sober. But I realized that like, oh, I, I, I kind of can't. Or if I do, people look at me the wrong way or stop calling me to hang out. And I, and I didn't know that because they, they can't relate or they're going to like, why would we invite Corey to the bar or the restaurant? So they stopped, you know, and I just wanted to break the stigma and I just wanted to talk about it and share. And I realized that doing so not only helped others, but it really helped me. Oh, it's all about helping the other guy because, you know, so many people are alone in their houses going, mm-hmm. do I have a problem? Do I not have a problem? Do I have a problem? Do I not have a problem? But then they hear yeah. somebody like you that, you know, you not, I like battling. The, it's not a battle, but coming out and telling your family, you know, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. That's a huge yeah. thing. Right. And yeah, then saying, guess what? on top of it, I'm an alcoholic. So guess what? Yeah. I, but I have nothing to be ashamed of. It's me. This is me, yeah. and I love me today, and I can show you how I did it so that you can do this too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, that's, that's the thing. It, it always goes back to these little sayings, and I didn't believe them in the first place, but honestly, I feel that if I can do it, anyone can do it. It's just learning and trying to find what works for you because cause the steps that I took some, some, and I'm not talking about the 12 steps. I'm just talking about the experiences, about the rehab. That's not going to work for everyone. But what I can say is that sobriety is better than what you're living now. That's all I can tell you. So whatever it takes to get there, trust me, it's worth it. And so what would you say to the person that's listening? Would you say, go check out a Zoom meeting? What would you say to them right now during this crazy pandemic when we're all locked up inside? You know, I would say that there are definitely Zoom meetings. I just launched um, my own series on my Instagram called Isolated in Sobriety, where people can come and just talk and also learn about sobriety. I'm not always, I'm not going by the 12 steps. I'm not doing any of that. I'm just actually having like a sit down as if you were sitting down and just talking with your friends about sobriety, about my own struggles. And I just want to share that with other people where they feel welcome, where they feel like they can talk about it and ask questions. And also where they're not afraid. They're not afraid to know who's in the chat or who's not. They're just able to come and learn and, you know, not feel alone. Because I, I'm telling these people, I don't have all the answers, but I feel alone just like you. And this is how I'm taking care of my sobriety while I'm here isolated. I love that. Now, where can they find that? Do they just go to Instagram and follow you, Corey O'Brien, or what yeah. do they do? Yeah, they go to Instagram, and it's Corey underscore O'Brien, and it is every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Awesome. I'm going to post that with this podcast so that people can Please find do. it. That would oh be amazing. Gosh. We have we have a bunch of special guests on it to come on it and talk about it. And I would love for you to join me. I do it. I do people that come and just speak on their story every other week. And it would be amazing to also have you on it. 
Oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. And so, Corey, you know, with so many people out there in the world today, you know, I never even thought about this. The people that had to be accountable to certain things like drug courts or going to Mm -hmm. methadone clinics and all that crazy, you know, all that stuff that's out there for the addict is now closed. And I didn't even realize that till I had a guest on last week that ta- was talking to me about it. And she said more and more people are dying now of overdoses, unfortunately. And so I think that having mm. more and more tools at our disposal from our homes is so important. I, I, I 100% agree. And I, to be honest, I didn't know all of that. But I have to say that this, is, this just comes from and shows why it, it's so important to speak up and share your story because that saddens me. That hurts me. And we have to also advocate for all of those people that are still struggling because sadly, not many people do. They don't, they don't speak up. They don't share. They don't let people know, Hey, they are struggling. And the people that are struggling also don't speak up and say it. You know, there's so many people that are, that are dealing with this in silence. And I just feel like we need to be advocates and we need to talk about it and share our stories. But we also need to be taking this stuff way seriously than it is. Like those, those situations with all of those things closed, they are essential businesses in my eyes because that's what is keeping people alive in some situations. So that oh, exactly. is, that saddens me, but that also just goes to show that sharing my story, doing something like isolated in sobriety on my Instagram is so important to just show people that we are here for them no matter what. Oh, I am so grateful for you. I am so grateful that you came on. Thank you so much. It is just, you you know, the shame and the the remorse. I mean, I could go on and on with negative adjectives that we feel about ourselves when we have this disease. But I think the hardest thing from the very beginning, and it sounds like you dealt with this when you finally, when you were in Israel and your family was like, Mm -hmm. I think it's time. It's that reaching out for help and surrendering Mm -hmm. at some point. Yeah, absolutely. It was just, that was my own rock bottom, and I just didn't know how to go on anymore. And frankly, I didn't know if I even wanted to, but I, I had some sort of hope and love for my family, and I'm so thankful that they, they did not give up on me because ultimately that is what pushed me not to give up on myself. But we all need hope, right? And we all need love. And we need to know that we're there for each other. And we are a huge community, us alcoholics in recovery. Like, we are a huge community, and we are there to love you. Yeah, so absolutely. I, I feel like it's been a hidden society. And to be honest, I don't feel like it needs to be hidden anymore. I feel like by sharing our stories and being there and being vocal and honest, if, if this pandemic is teaching anyone anything... It's about loving one another and being there for them. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And it's because isn't it the truth? Like we don't love ourselves till somebody else loves us. It's the craziest thing. Oh, oh my, I mean, have me on one more week and we will, we will just dive in deep to that because <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. It is. It's crazy. Well, Corey, thank you so, so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure to get to know you. I am so excited about your isolated in sobriety on, on Instagram. I'm going to definitely share that with the world and this podcast. And I just hope you have the best day. Stay healthy and oh, keep getting busy living sober, okay? Uh, thank you so much. I'm honored to come on here and talk. And it's been amazing. And I'm just so thankful to be able to share my story and speak with you. So thank you.
Thank you. Take care. And everybody, until next time, keep getting busy living sober. Take care, Corey. Bye-bye. Bye.